going on everybody welcome back to another episode of control the narrative episode 51 we're a podcast where we control the narrative that the media creates if you're new around here subscribe for our weekly podcast and if you're a returner a subscriber we appreciate your attention as always i've got a special guest in the building tonight uh been, we've been trying to make this work this is our third time third time's a charm so quentin what's going on man what's up uh not much man so First of all, I appreciate your time and working with us and trying to get this fucking Zoom after literally 15 minutes. But, uh, <laughs> yo, for those who don't follow you on Twitter, I was just, we were just talking real quick off camera about, like, I fuck with your tweets. You put the stats out there, you know, the Fenomelo and, like, the way you format it and shit is dope. So for people who don't follow you and really don't know about you, uh, why don't you tell us how you started liking basketball, how you started liking Mellow, and pretty much how you started, like, tweeting about Mellow and, like, being part of this mellow militia? Um, I think I started liking mellow around like 2010. Um, that's around the time I started liking basketball too. So that was like the first player I liked and rooted for. And yeah, I basically just started watching him um, with my family because they were mellow fans too. Let's go. Yeah, so then basically watched him ever since then. So were you were you a Knicks fan growing up, or is it just like you just fucked with Melo and then you just follow him? Um, I don't really root for one team. Fair. I normally just like Melo, CP3. Dope. Um, and, oh. No, go ahead. Oh, no, you go. I was going to say, uh, because, like, I just quickly tease, like, Seriously, like your tweets are like top tier and, um, you know, I'm just I'm looking at it right now. You were going at Jason quick before and shit. So how did you get on Twitter? Is this something that you were just like, fuck, man, nobody's listening to me? Because for me, I got on Twitter and was like really defending Melo like that after, you know, yeah. I would tell people shit and they would be like, yo, shut up. Like Melo's watch. This was an OKC and then in Houston, obviously, and shit. And I'm just like, I can't be the only one who thinks this. And then I went on Twitter and, you know, started uh, finding people like you. So. Was it something like that where you were telling people some shit and they were like, yo, like, you're an idiot. And then you're like, damn, I'm not that stupid because there's a bunch of other people that agree. Yeah, it's literally the same exact thing for me. Yeah. It's wild he how that shit happens, right? He's beginning a lot of slander disrespect, so try to change it. Respect. Um, all right, man, let's get into uh, let's get into the Portland Trailblazers days, uh, mm -hmm. the current mellow. Um they haven't started out that great. We'll get into that. But I figured we'd start on a positive note. Uh, what can you say about McCollum's play this year? Like, he's probably been the best player on the Blazers so far. And, again, only six games. But what do you think about how he's been able to sometimes single-handedly uh, keep this team in the game? Um, I think it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, like I said before, I said many times, feel like he's like a top 10 scorer in the league still. CJ? Yeah. Uh, I feel like him as the number one option could literally average like 30 on a bad team. But I do think his scoring sometimes does kind of mess up the offense sometimes. 
Because he's shooting like 24 times a game this season, I think. 24, CJ? I think it's like 22, 24, 25, I something like that. I didn't even know that. Yeah, he's shooting. He's shooting a lot. I mean, he's going in, though, so I'm not going to complain. 22. Damn, I didn't even fucking realize that. Yeah. I don't know. If he, he's chucking this season for sure. <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, I think it's dope, too, man. Like, top 10, I haven't heard anybody say that TJ could be a top 10 scorer, so that's interesting. But I think like, in terms of, like, peer scoring. like Fair. Fair. Versatility. Peer score. Fair. Uh. Yeah. Man, like I said in, like, the question, I think he sometimes has single-handedly kept the Blazers in the game. Like, he's had some really hot games where he was shooting, like, 70% or some shit from the field. And, like, I know that Rockets game, he he went, like, shot for shot with Harden and shit like that. And, you know, Dame's been good. He hasn't been, like, bubble Dame like I thought he was going to be. And, again, only six games in. I'm probably going to say that, like, five more times in this podcast. But we're six games in, so this is how we're judging it. Um, but I just think that out of all the bad shit that we'll get into, uh, in a moment, seeing McCollum ball out and, you know, just one of those guys being hot, whether it's Dame or CJ, uh, obviously when Dame is hot, it's a different type of hot. It's, it's 50 points a night hot, but Mm -hmm. you know, CJ putting up, what is he averaging this year? He's averaging 28, uh, 22 shots, 10 for 22 from the field. So, um, that's been dope to see. And. Like I said, man, I don't know where the fuck they would be this year if he was not putting up 28 a game. So it's good to see that. Yeah. Showing he could carry the offense, for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get into the bad now. There's been uh, – the Blazers are 3-3, three and three, so it's not like they're 0-6, 1-5, some shit like that. But in my opinion and a lot of people's opinions, they do not think that this team has started off like they should have. And like, obviously they have some new pieces and apparently a new defensive scheme and shit like that, that they're trying to figure out. But uh, the first question we'll get to is in, in regards to Terry Stotts. What do you think about what he's doing with the minutes? So he's kind of just giving people different minutes. One night Cantor will play like 12 minutes. The next night Cantor will play like 30 uh, or 25 or some shit. So do you think giving minutes to everybody like this and not having a set rotation um, is more of an early season test where he's figuring shit out? Or do you think he's just not able to kind of make his mind up and put the right guys out on the court? Um, I think it's like a combination of both of them. Like, I think he does have to test the lineups. So I think it's honestly good to start now before you get late in the season where you need to get a couple of wins um, to get a playoff spot or a deeper, higher seed. And because this team is has a lot of depth, so you do got to see like who could work with who. Right. But I do think him as a coach is not very good. So I think it could be a little bit of both. Why? Why don't you think he's good? Um, he just shown he can't really adjust <laughs> a lot of the times. Um, he runs players that shouldn't be running together. When it's clear and obvious, he could run with a better duo or a better five-man lineup. So, um, Talk on that. Are you talking about Melo and Cantor? Yeah. I think – because I've seen for these last two years, I don't know if you noticed, but, like, Melo and Nurkic together on the court are actually pretty good. Yeah. Because Nurkic, his court vision for a center is actually – it's actually pretty good, but Cantor's the exact opposite. 
But he gets the ball in the post. He's not going to pass you. There was like the the Blazers played the Warriors the second time yesterday where, where Curry scored 62. And there was literally two or three times where uh, they gave it to Cantor and he was rolling and he had Melo wide open in the corner. Like wide open, like at least three times. And I was texting my friend about that. And then uh, the one time he did go to pass it, he fucking got like it stuffed in his face. I think he turned the ball over. So that, yeah, to your point, that's a, that's a pass that Nurkic probably would make. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think that um, it is early. So, yes, I'd rather him feel the shit out now than, you know, game 60 or game 55, whatever mm-hmm. the fuck the case may be. But at the same time, yeah, like, how do, how do you not see as a coach that Melo and Cantor should not be playing together uh, at the 4-5? Yeah. Like, I was – and I, I kind of still am for the – not for it, but, like, I'm okay with the Melo coming off the bench thing. But you got to put a shot blocker at, at the 5, like Harry Giles. Like Whiteside was last year. Um, they had Whiteside and Nurkic, Nurkic in the bubble. And, like, it worked. Melo was starting. He was playing some minutes against the second-tier guys with the bench, and, like, it worked because we, we know Melo's not the best defender and he's not really a rim protector like that. Cantor isn't either. And then when you have Cantor to exploit, it, it just doesn't work out. Like, I'd rather they try to exploit Melo because it hasn't really worked in the past. Like, we could talk about that Thunder Jazz series, like, three years ago. But other than that, like, I feel like Melo holds his own way better than Cantor does. And if you put a guy like Giles, um, I think that works. Yeah, I agree. But we'll get we'll get more into the bigs in, uh, right. in a minute. Um, last week, we talked about uh, Melo not finishing the game versus Houston and him uh, and, and Derek Favors. Derek Favors. Derrick Jones Jr. being in the game over Melo to end the game, we're like, shit, they were talking about, damn, is this, uh, you know, don't don't worry about who starts, it's about who finishes, then Melo wasn't finishing. Now we kind of see that yesterday, Melo didn't play at all in the third quarter. Maybe he didn't, right? No, he didn't play a single second in the third yeah, quarter. Came out in the fourth. So straight up, do you think we've been hoodwinked in terms of Melo's role on the team? Um, Yeah. I thought so yesterday. I meant the um the other game against the Rockets. Yeah. When he wasn't in at all. On the fourth quarter at all. When Derek Jones can't really hit a three. And it's not like it was for defense because it was literally just one possession. Like 21 seconds, I think. Yep. So I thought maybe he should have been playing. Then I think last game he kind of helped it a little bit. I let him play the whole fourth. You so like was, that? Hmm? You like that, that he didn't play the third and just played the whole fourth? No, I don't like that. Oh. But I like that he was at least able to close. Fair. But they need to – oh, he's going to get a lot of inefficient baskets if he, if that rhythm in the minutes are like that. Yeah. No. I agree. I uh, Straight up, I think we've been hoodwinked. Officially, I can say that. You know, after that first game, uh, not the first game, but that game against the Rockets, it was like, all right, let's see what's going on here. And you could just tell, man, the way they're closing halves, the way they're closing games, and just the way they look at him, I don't think they see him as, you know, a late fourth quarter guy. 
Um, and, and they really haven't had a ton of close games yet. But it's just really disappointing because, you know, for a guy to not play the whole third quarter and then you just expect him to come out in the fourth and just hit shots, like, that's not how he works. That's how some guys work. That's how Kyle Korver works. That's how, you know, guys like that. But Melo, we talk about all the time, he's a rhythm scorer. He needs to bowl. He needs to feel it. He needs to get a couple shots in to feel comfortable in the offense, spotting up, uh, you know, posting up, all that shit. So when he's not starting and then in the third quarter, you don't play him at all. It's like, how the fuck do you expect him to get into a rhythm and to be one of those guys like he was in the bubble where you can throw him the ball in clutch situation and he'll deliver time and time and time again. It's just really disappointing. And um, not like as a mellow, as a mellow fan, I'm not like regretting that he went, that he re-signed with them, but I just feel like the way they were talking about it in the beginning of the season, the, what they probably told him, honestly, was like, yo, we look at you as, you know, you might not start, but you'll go out there. We'll, we'll run the offense through you against the, the other team's bench, and then you'll finish games. And lately, that hasn't really been the case. So um, I get it. It's still very early, six games, but um, I think – we can officially say that we've been hoodwinked by the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. So, not a not a good thing to admit, but who knows, man? Maybe uh, he has a hot game or two, and then they're like, "Shit, we forgot who the fuck this guy was." Just like uh, that game versus the Lakers when he sat out, and then fans were saying all this stupid shit. Oh, I, you know, Melo shouldn't get any minutes before. It's just like you forgot what the fuck he did for your team four months ago. So. It's just wild. It's fucking wild. Um, let's get back to those bigs real quick. Nurk and Cantor. Uh, how worried are you about their play? Um, Nurkic. I think Nurkic especially. More than Cantor. Because at least Cantor's grabbing offensive rebounds. And getting pro facts. And I feel like Nurkic this year is not really doing anything at all. Um, he's out of shape. He's not looking strong or fast. He can't really finish at the rim at all right now. And he's not really doing anything effective right now. So yeah. I think I could I wouldn't be mad if they have a Giles and Kenner center group until let Kent, Nurkic get in shape. Or at least get an NBA level fitness or something. So he can make some layups. So but you don't want to see any minutes. No, nah, I think they should at least give him, like, they should bench him a couple games. Just that. Let him get, like, ready somehow. Then you got, like, Giles not getting any minutes at all. It's wild. For and Cantor, you're not worried about? Um, I'm worried about him on defense. Yeah. Um, And his passing abilities and his lack of court vision. But he's been – at least he's been doing something productive, grabbing offensive rebounds. Yeah. Finishing pretty well. I think he's shooting like 63% this year. Something like that. Yeah. He's always by the rim, so. Yeah, true. Word. But I am kind of a little worried by him. Yeah. Uh, just for the record, Cantor, uh, sorry, not Cantor, Nurkic this year, nine points a game, his lowest since his second year in the league. Uh, 5.7, sorry, 7.3 rebounds a game, his lowest since his third year in the league. And he's only been in the league one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So it's not like he's been in the league for 15 years. But 
and then blocks point zero uh point eight, which is his lowest of his career. So pretty much everything is down. And again, six mm-hmm. games. We're not talking like thirty games, but I'm with you, man. I think the Nurkic thing is really disappointing because last year in the bubble, he was fucking good. Like yeah. in the eight games in the regular season, he put up almost eighteen. 10 rebounds and four assists for your five. That's really, really good. Uh, yeah. And, like, they were running the offense through him and shit like that. And he just has not looked like the same player this year. So I agree with you. I'm definitely more concerned about him. And, you know, not gonna, not saying that he should return to his bubble level, but, like, step up. I don't know if it's because he's not in shape or, like, what's going on with him. Field goal percentage-wise – uh, he's shooting 46.9% from the field. He's a 49% shooter from the field uh, in his career. He's shooting 28% from three. He's never really been a great three-point shooter, but um, you'd like to see him hit a little bit more than that. And, like, I'm not too mad at the three-point percentage. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, man, Nurk on, And then even, like, defensively, he's looked slow. He's mm-hmm. looked uh, not strong, like you said. So I'm very worried about him. Uh, and then as far as Cantor goes, I also agree with you because – you know, we kind of knew what we were getting from him. It's not like this is a shock that he sucks on defense. Like, he hasn't really fit anywhere because teams know this. Like, he he fucking can't defend anybody. So, they know, like, all right, we're just going to put him out here, uh, get offensive rebounds, get, get some buckets and shit like that. Um, but, I, but I still am also nervous about him and worried about him because when you have a guy like Harry Giles on the bench who – seems like he can do a lot of good things for your team and he's not being out there in favor of Ennis Cantor who I like I like Cantor it's just when you need a defensive big next to Mello you bring in Harry Giles and like let him play and he hasn't shown like any crazy flashes when he's been in the game but throw him out there for a few minutes like see what the fuck he can do with Dame and Mello and CJ and all of them so I'm worried man I think that's one of their uh, biggest disappointments in, in this young season is uh, the play of those two, for sure. Yeah, I agree. But the, yeah, I think they got to get some more defense in their second year. For sure. And, uh, you know, Gary Trent, I feel like, provides that. and um, I feel like he's trying to take that next step on his own. Like, he's shooting the ball a lot more than I feel like he has in the past. And I might be wrong about that in terms of he'll go attempts, like, yeah, last year he shot 7.2 shots a game. Now he's 9.5. And, like, I love Gary Trent. But, um, I don't know, I just feel like sometimes he forces it. But, anyway, talking about the defense there. So, uh, we talked about a little bit about everything, Mello, all those guys. If you could pick one red flag that needs to be addressed ASAP for this Blazer team, like you just talked about defense, and, like, obviously, defense, but, like, what specifically is it? Like, the wing defenders? Is it, like, the bigs, like, Nurkic and Cantor? Like, what do you think is the one thing that this Blazer team needs to fix to become, like, a legit winning team? Um, I think it's their parents. For another thing that's important is their parents defensively. Um, it's almost as if he, as if he just doesn't know, like, who – who, how do everybody plays? And I think defensively, I think you got to add Giles, like you said. You got to get him in the rotation because you don't want to have to have Melo rim protect right. while guarding 
the four. Because a lot of their problem was a couple of these games this year is the pick and roll. They've just been abusing Canada on the pick and roll every single game. Yeah. Um, so I think you add Giles. Then I think – I know I already talked about it a little bit, but I think you add Nurkic or – Nurkic with Melo, obviously. Then I think you got to have Canner or Giles starting. I say I prefer Giles. But at least with Canner in the starting lineup, you could have him next to Covington and Derrick Jones. So you could kind of hide him defensively in a way. Um. But, yeah, definitely got to switch the second unit and the first unit up. I just think you won't win too many games with the the lineups they're winning. They're having. Yeah. And Stott's got to learn how to adjust. Talk about that. Because there's been times where – and he did it one time during the game. I'll give him credit. In the first game versus the Warriors, where Pascal was just abusing cancer and he took him out. And Melo was yeah. playing the five for, like – a minute or a few minutes, whatever. But, like, as an NBA coach, like, you and I are not supposed to be seeing things that he doesn't see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, obviously, he sees a bunch of shit that we do not. But I agree with you, man. I think the one red flag that needs to be addressed is just these lineups. Not necessarily the fact that he's trying a bunch of different things because, like you said, he should. Like, we're early in the season, try a bunch of different shit. Mm-hmm. But there's things that, like, just don't make sense. Melo and Cantor are both not defensive players. Don't play them together or, like, limit their time together. Like, mm-hmm. start Melo and bring in bring Derrick Jones off the bench, who's a better, uh, a better defender and, you know, might help Cantor out. It's just, like, things like that that just – they don't make sense and it's just really frustrating because, like, uh, I'm going to keep referencing the Warriors game because it just happened yesterday, but they're playing Steph Curry – and Derrick Jones Jr. is guarding Steph Curry. Like, he was the primary defender on Curry. Um, he got into foul trouble and ended up being Gary Trent, who I think it should have it should have been from the start because, like, Dane was guarding him a little bit, but he can't really – nobody can keep up with Steph. Obviously, he fucking scored 62 mm-hmm. points. But, you know, you just like to see adjustments like that. Like, all right, Derrick Jones, we might not need you as much this game. Like, who is he out there on the court to guard? If he's not guarding – if he can't guard Curry – what do you need him to guard a guy like Kelly Oubre? Obviously not. So start Gary Trent that game. Like adjust mm-hmm. on the fly. And it's just frustrating, man, because uh I just feel like last year everything was so perfect. Like mm-hmm. in the bubble and even before that, like that starting five. Well, the bubble starting five of Dame, CJ, uh Ariza, who now should be Covington, Mello and Nurk. It was like that was a solid fucking lineup. Um, and Gary Trent was starting, sorry, in the bubble, right? Oh, yeah. Not yeah. a reason. A reason wasn't there. But it's just things like that that, like, we shouldn't see and the coach of the Portland Trailblazers not see. Yeah, and another thing, I noticed last game, Eric Paschal, or whatever his last name is, Paschal, yeah. he starts kept Canner on him the whole second unit, and he bulldozed him all game. If he wasn't bulldozing him, he was just shooting right in his face. Canner couldn't do anything about it. Then he ended up having like eight points in like two quarters. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, so I think that time you put Covington in the game, you put him on him, and even Melo was doing a good job on passion. Um, but Canner somehow got bodied by somebody way smaller than him. Yeah. It's uh it's frustrating. Like that's a guy that Melo can guard. Like, yeah. Eric Pascal isn't that quick. 
He's strong, mellow, strong. Like that's a perfect matchup. Like if they're running him at the five, run mellow at the five. Like why not? Like why the fuck not? Uh, so yeah, man, it's, it's just been really frustrating. Um, all right, Quinn, we reached the end of this podcast here and we always allow our guests to control a narrative. Doesn't have to be basketball related. Doesn't have to be mellow related. It could be a narrative, something you think is overrated, underrated, and you just want to set the record straight. So um, I'm going to give you the floor and let you control the narrative. All right. I'm going to say Melo's all-time ranking. Okay. I think it gets underrated a lot of times. As a, the score ranking, small score ranking, and all-time ranking. Because a lot of people, I don't think they understand that he's top 40 all-time. Minimum, um, easily could be higher. And a lot of people disrespect him, say he's not top 50 sometimes, just crazy. Then, as a scorer, he's easily a top five scorer ever. Top five? Yeah, top five. In terms of just pure scoring, he's top five. Um, some people say he's top 10, which I won't get mad about. Top 10 is not a bad link list. Yeah. Um, top Top five is definitely where he should be at. Then on the small forwards, I think top five also. Um, I mean, the stats prove it. His accolades prove it. Playoff stats and longevity. So I think he has everything you really could have in all-time ranking. So I don't see why not. Yeah. And I think one thing you said that was really important was longevity. Yeah. Like – People talk all the time about how Melo is never able to adjust his game and, you know, he only plays one way and all that shit. And here he is in year 18. Like he talked yeah. about this the other night when he passed Tim Duncan. He was like, you know, not many people do this until year 18. So if he was so stubborn and if he didn't change his game like everybody says he didn't, then how is he still wanted in year 18? Like how is he still productive in year 18? How is he still – scoring against like some of the league's best defenders and drawing double teams in year yeah. 18 if he wasn't able to adjust this game like that shit to me makes no sense and that is just like it's yeah, part no. of the narrative that gets thrown out there like oh Melo never did this it's like how the fuck is he still playing in year 18 if he never changed his game yeah. um oh. like that longevity I think that's a very underrated part of Melo's career we obviously know you know all time how great he is in terms of scoring well at least some of us do but yeah, year 18. Not many people get to play to year 18. So, yeah. Great he definitely play. has top five, top ten longevity ever. For yep. sure. For sure. Double teams in year 18. I'm going to say that one more time. Yeah. Uh, all right, Gwen. Well, appreciate your time, man. And uh, mm -hmm. working, working through the Zoom. Uh, talking technical difficulties. Your Twitter, at QMB8311, right? Sorry, QMB311. Yeah. My bad. Uh, yo, for all those watching on YouTube or listening on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, go give my guy a follow, man. Legit dude on Twitter. Uh, tweets out facts. I don't, I was going to say protects Mellow, but like we all protect <laughs> Mellow. Uh, protects the legacy and, and is um, a true controller. So appreciate your, uh, appreciate your work, man. Appreciate it. All right. Stay Mellow, man. All right. For sure.